Welcome to Stories with Soul. I am your host, Jamie Ice, musician turned entrepreneur and co-founder of 6th Ave Homes and 6th Ave Storytelling. Over the past 10 years, I have launched multiple successful businesses and have become obsessed with all things entrepreneurship and marketing. I've been on a personal quest to unpack what it takes to make and grow a great brand. One thing that I've discovered is that stories are powerful and that storytelling has the power to set a brand apart. Join me as I dive into the stories of the heavy-hitting leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and business owners in our community to hear their biggest wins, greatest losses, and their best business secrets. There's a story behind every great brand. Welcome to Stories with Soul. Stories with Soul is brought to you by my company, 6th Ave Storytelling. In 2020, we launched a marketing company on a mission to encourage entrepreneurship and make starting and growing a small business easier than ever before. Since then, we have helped hundreds of small businesses and entrepreneurs grow their brands by giving them the tools, resources, strategy, and support they need to craft and share their stories. If you are thinking about launching and growing your own brand, schedule a meetup with me today. I would love to talk to you. Head over to 6thAvStorytelling.com and let me show you how the storytelling approach can transform your marketing strategy. This episode is sponsored in part by Pre-Kindle, the platform designed to empower event creators to develop the best experiences possible for their communities. Did you know that Pre-Kindle was actually founded in DFW and is still headquarters in Dallas? Well, now you do. We love local businesses and Pre-Kindle is one of the best. With a best-in-class platform of features, no long-term contracts, low service fees, responsive mobile-friendly event pages, and friendly and attentive support, Pre-Kindle is my personal favorite ticketing and marketing platform for any event. Anytime I'm planning something with my band, Green River Ordinance, Pre-Kindle is our go-to platform to use. With an impressive roster of event creators, menus, and entertainment destinations across the nation, Pre-Kindle's hands down the best. In DFW alone, they've partnered with incredible spaces like the Granada Theater, Panther Island Pavilion, the Kessler, Will Rogers Coliseum, the Fort Worth Modern, Tulips, Rizzi Theater, and more. If you have been to an event or venue in DFW, I promise you have likely been using Pre-Kindle and you didn't even know it. Beyond ticketing, Pre-Kindle also helps automatically promote your event. With over 500,000 subscribers in North Texas, in partnerships with event discovery sites like Bands in Town, Spotify, Google, they're set up to also help you spread the word. So go to prekindle.com, that's P-R-E-K-I-N-D-L-E.com and click Get Started to begin using the platform. They are on a mission to bring your event to life. Welcome to Stories with Soul. I am your host, Jamie Ice, and I have a very special, lovely co-host today, my wife, Melissa Ice. Melissa Ice. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you're here. Okay, when she heard who our guest is, she was like, can I please come be on this episode <laughs> this with true. you? This is true. This is true, Katie. Uh, so anyways, Melissa, I'm glad you're here. But our guest in the hot seat today yes. uh, is Katie Brown, who I am I am stoked to have you. I'm going to read your bio. Oh, boy. Here, here, <laughs> here we go. I, I warned you. Uh, but Katie Brown is a fourth generation West Texan, born and raised in Midland, Texan. Growing up, some of her fondest memories were from the time spent with her grandparents out on their family's ranch in far West Texas near Fort Davis. Katie attended SMU. We won't, we won't hold that against you. In, in <laughs> I know, right? It's a little uh, risky to say around here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where she met her future husband, Tyler Brown, a Houston native and seventh generation Texan. 
I want to come back to that because I need to figure out the math on that. Like, <laughs> seven generations a lot. Uh, but Katie and Tyler married in her hometown of Midland in 2013 and moved to New York where she had an opportunity in private equity, where he had an opportunity in private equity real estate and she continued to grow her career in advertising. With years of experience at industry leading agencies, she set out on a new venture to build her own brand, Lone River, celebrating root, her roots in West Texas. Lone River pioneered the tequila style hard seltzer category with its introduction of Lone River Ranch Water, which is like the biggest ranch water, like ranch yeah. water brand. Number she, one in the U.S. She's the face of ranch water, guys, uh, which is why I'm stoked to have her. You'll also recently launch Lone River Ranch Rita. After less than a year of record sales, literally less than a year, this is wild, uh, <laughs> Lone River Beverage Company was purchased by Diego, one of the world's largest producers. Diageo. Of, Diageo. <laughs> it's okay. I think I did that the first time, too. Oh, man. It's, a very, it's not like a phonetic word. No, and I'm already failing. Diageo. You did more. I know. You, you nailed that. <laughs> That's why you have your wife on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. But Diageo is like, it's the company that owns Casamigos, Crown Royal, Johnny Walker, Smirnoff, Guinness. It's yes. a, that's a huge company. Yep. And you sold your company in less than a year, which is wild. We're going to get into that story. Uh, Lone River now leads the tequila style seltzer category and is the number one ranch water in the U.S., Katie still leads the business on day-to-day -day business as a CEO, uh, and you were you were also named like Inc. Top 100 Female Founders, yes, uh, which is so pretty cool. dang cool. And Ranch Ranch Water is literally in every store. It's in like Target. fortunately, yes. <laughs> it's, is it in every state? Like, can you get it in every state? Um, every state but Utah, which oh. you know, <laughs> some people have a bone to pick with us about that, but they have. Um, it's more highly regulated there. So yeah, it's a little bit more complicated. Their liquor stores are weird. <laughs> but I did. Oh, strange. it's yeah, it's definitely um, a lot of people have to reformulate to even sell their product there. Um, but I have a good friend who's a cowgirl out there. And I told her the day we get ranch water into uh, Utah, I'm going to do ski joring with her, which oh, with the horse? <gasps> have y'all ever heard of it? Yo, it's yes. Crazy. Um, and she's like an expert horse woman um and so i'm like i'll get on the skis on the back and we'll see how this goes okay so that so that's the so that's the wager once i get in i'm gonna hop on uh the back of her horse with a rope on my skis and we'll see if i make it out of there that's the 2023 goal yes you know, 2023 goal is ski touring in utah it. with a hopefully loan of a ranch water in my hand yeah. yes. well, i'm i'm stoked to have you um so uh where where i want to start with yeah. this is is you and I met at a Santa party. Yeah. <laughs> one of, one of All our, places. One of our, our good friends, Taylor Dukes, who's been yes. on this podcast. She had a party where yep. she hired Santa and Mrs. Claus. Yeah, it was amazing. Had our kids. And we, you and I were like like stumbling around the charcuterie yeah. board. As one does. And, yeah, I, and party. I was like, what do you do? Yeah. And you're like, I have a beverage company. And, was, and anyways, you, you said ranch water. And I was like, what? Yeah. Because I'm obsessed with the brand. Like, it's, Thank you. And, but I had no idea you were in Fort Worth. Yeah. I mean, we're newer to Fort Worth. We moved here, um, let's see, last August. So I guess we're newer in the sense of we didn't grow up here. Um, mm -hmm. But I have some cousins here, grew up in West Texas. So this for me was kind of the closest we could get out to West Texas that still had that feel, um, but also have access to, you know, a bigger airport and some more of the amenities that you get in a bigger city. Yeah. So I, I was 
shocked and excited. Yeah. Like I love it when people are in Fort Worth, especially like entrepreneurs and people who have yes. built really cool brands. So I I was I'm stoked that you're here. Yeah. On yeah, the we podcast. get to claim you now, which yeah. is so fun. So so you so Fort Worth felt big but still small, still yes. kind of this west yeah, it's West. almost, I like to say it's like a big city with a small town feel. 100%. And when you grow up in a small town, I feel like, um, you know, when I think about the kind of life that I wanted for my kids, I just wanted more of that. You can ride your bike down the street. Um, you know, you know, you have a real community where a lot of people know you. They know your family type of thing. And um, Fort Worth, I think, very much has that feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just access to incredible, you know, museums and culture and um, a great airport. You can get anywhere in the world from there. <laughs> you're, you're traveling a lot. Like I was looking yeah. at your Instagram and you had just, you have. I mean, been... it's, we're on the road. So um, the way that the beer business works is we can't sell our product directly to a retailer. We go through a, a distributor. I um, mean, we have over 500 distributors throughout the U.S. So oh a lot of it is, you know, just getting out into the market and shaking the hands of the people that sell our product every day because it's not an easy job. And these guys were essential workers during COVID. So mm. they haven't gotten any time off, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like I owe it to them and I owe it to our business to really get out there and look them in the eye and thank them. And also, I think you understand a market a lot differently when you're on the ground there looking at, you know, the stores, the way that the consumer sees them and um, talking to the stores, talking to the consumers. It just, for me, like this whole mentality of we've now um, kind of coined it on our team, touch the dirt. Mm -hmm. I think it's really, really important um, to have that because I think you can operate your business in just a completely different way. This episode is brought to you by my good friends at Visit Fort Worth. Visit Fort Worth is the official destination marketing organization of the 13 largest city, and I would say the greatest city in the United States, dedicated to promoting Fort Worth as a premier business and leisure destination with thriving centers of creativity, culture, and commerce. Visit Fort Worth is the parent organization of the Fort Worth Herd, the Fort Worth Film Commission, Fort Worth Sports Commission, Visita Fort Worth and Music Initiative here Fort Worth. They are doing a lot of amazing things. For more information on Visit Fort Worth, head over to visitfortworth.com and follow them on social at Visit Fort Worth. This episode of Stories with Soul is sponsored in part by Project 202, the leader in experience-driven software strategy, design, and development. Whether you're looking to build a new software solution redesign your mobile app, or kick off a digital transformation initiative, Project 202's customized approach creates solutions that work for your customers. Customer experience drives engagement, and cultivating that experience requires a ton of attention and time. Project 202 is local and has 18 years of design leadership. This team is an expert in using customer-centric methods to build compelling data-driven customer experiences. Wherever you're at in your business journey, the diverse team at Project 202 will guide you from idea to execution. Go to project202.com. That's P-R-O-J-E-K-T 202.com and click contact to begin winning the hearts of your customers and exceeding your business goals today. Mm -hmm. And is your... Is your team here? Like, is it most of, like, do y'all have a, a head official, like a headquarters? Or? Yeah. So 
It's an interesting question because so we were our company was really um, started like our first case was sold in April 2020. So smack dab in the middle. Like of we've been a pandemic COVID. company. Um, okay. And so we've always been a remote workforce. And part of that, too, when you think about the way that we're set up and <clears throat> how many markets we're in, um, you know, it requires us to be out in a lot of places at a lot of different times. Mm-hmm. But, you know, part of our like vision for the brand was always to establish a real tangible home for it. I mean, I think of that home now as my family's ranch in West Texas, because that's what inspired it. But so the ranch is kind of a hub, the ranch. Yeah. And that's, I think for me, just like where that this journey all began. Um, But I think my husband and I have always looked at Fort Worth as kind of our aspirational where we want our brand home to be long term. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think you know, it's more accessible for people, but it also has, I think a lot of the same, it's, it has a lot of the same kind of foundation that our brand was built from and that it really respects the tradition of the Western lifestyle, Mm -hmm. but also has kind of that modernity to, you know, make that lifestyle feel more accessible and inviting to more people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think for those reasons, like, we're hopeful that one day um, we're able to kind of develop a brand home and our own Lone River Ranch in Fort Worth. Um, Is but that not on the horizon? Like a Lone River Ranch? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like it's always been the dream. So I think there's some things that need to happen before we get there. But um I think the vision has been very clear for us and what that looks like. Oh, I so, like I like yeah. where this is going. <laughs> I mean, my husband works in real estate, so he even has like the, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the places staked the, out. Yeah. He's like, I think we could get that building. Um, so but you know, we're we've been a small business and in the beginning it was a lot of bootstrapping things along. So we didn't have like the deep pockets to really go out and build that kind of infrastructure. And on top of that, it was during COVID. So mm-hmm there was so much uncertainty when it came to physical spaces. Yeah. Um, and you've done it so fast. Yeah, it has. I mean, it's crazy to think we've been in business almost three years, but Which is it feels nuts. like a lifetime. <laughs> three years is so short. Yeah. And you're in, like we just heard, every, literally every state, yeah. every major market. Yeah. The number one brand. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing to think. I think for me, it's just, this was like, a journey way bigger than us. It was something that I feel like it was a path that my life was supposed to go down. And Mm -hmm. there's things that you just can't explain. I mean, they're too serendipitous and how some of these things have worked out along the way. So I was going to say too, that even y'all deciding to come to Fort Worth, that decision, you know, five years ago, pre Mule Alley, pre Drover, yeah. pre the stockyards. Obviously, the stockyards has always existed and it's brought people from around the globe, which is great. But the accessibility piece that you're talking about and kind of the lifestyle brand yeah. that you guys are, and the stockyards co- coincidentally making the stockyards more accessible yes. and kind of this lifestyle brand where there's a you know, a lot of us who maybe weren't going there as much (laughs) five years ago. And now we want to go there every weekend. And so it's, it's kind of like this kismet because that you landing here and Fort Worth also trying to have the modern West kind of be a little bit of what their stakes in the ground are too. So that's, I just think that's so cool. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you because even in the time that we've been here, I feel like there's been so much development and evolution of the city. Um, And I think like our, 
we love this city. Like we wanted to raise our family here and put roots down. Um, but we also want to be a part of like shaping it in the future, whatever that looks like. And I think we're still kind of getting our footing. Um, you know, we're still even finding our way around some days. So, um, I think it'll be a journey for us, but something that we look at as like a long-term ambition. With the Lone River Ranch. You're the loner of a ranch. Yes. I, I, we're, we're saying I'm it here. Excited so. about it. Yeah, you. <laughs> we want to come to your launch party. Yeah. It and Utah are happening. Yeah, right? We're, 2023. We're, maybe we're that'll be the year. Speaking it into we're existence. We're all going to take a picture at the launch party. Yes. And, yeah. and y'all can say, you told me about that. Uh-huh. Okay, so take me. So you're from West Texas. Yep. Like Midland? So I grew up in Midland. Um, and then my family's ranch is in far West Texas. So. Is Far West Texas a city? No, so Far West Texas <laughs> is like an even area. West. I know. I'm like, have Where? you been out there before? To Far West Texas? Yeah. It's even further. Like, have you been to Midland before? I know. I've been to Midland. Okay. Yeah. 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 Have you been out to like Marfa? We've never been to Marfa. No, you guys we have haven't. not been to Marfa. No. And it doesn't seem like our oh, vibe. Y'all would love go. it. Are you kidding? Even taking the kids there. Um, so, okay. So somewhere in between like Midland and Marfa. Yeah, so basically everything west of the Pecos River okay. is considered far west Texas. Okay. Um, and our, I mean, it's, so like our ranch is in between two towns called Fort Davis and Alpine. Okay. But obviously. And the, Alpine is where like Riata yes. is. And, yeah. and well, and it's actually, if you kind of triangulate, there's like Marfa, Fort Davis and Alpine. All of okay. those towns are about 20 minutes from each other. So, um, but it's, it's just such like an expansive landscape. It's not like I say far west Texas because it's not like you're necessarily from a town out there. Like you yeah. live like when in you the think, middle. When of, you think west Texas, you think like Lubbock, Midland, Midland, Odessa. Odessa. And this Odessa. Is farther yeah. than yes. This than, is like like Midland is the closest airport to okay. um, to that area, and it's still two and a half to three hours away. Okay, so it's a trek. I mean, and did your did your grandparents live there? Like, did, did people live on the ranch? So. Nobody has lived there. We have ranch hands that are out there all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, My grandparents spend a ton of time there. Like they Mm -hmm. probably are there every other week. But um, my family also has a family business in Midland. So um, we're really kind of tied to that as well. Um, So, yeah. But it's just, you know, every like, I guess, um, part of my family, like my uncles, aunts, cousins, brothers, sister, parents, they're all still in West Texas. So my family's really rooted out there. And at the, are you, is there like cows? Are y'all? Yeah. So cattle? <laughs> yes. Um, like people are working the ranch and like, yes. Herding. Yes. Jamie's parents actually have a ranch with cows. So yeah, I'm like, but they <laughs> would know. Well, because there's like recreational ranches. There's yeah. working that's ranches. What, that's yeah, what theirs like is. A, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Like, my parents have like a recreational ranch. Yes. Like 12 cows. Yeah. And they're kind of like pets. Yes. But is this like. This your is their. So operating? my grandfather still is shipping cattle out of there. Okay. Um, so it is definitely still a working ranch. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's just something that my grandfather has always been really passionate about. And um, he's really from a very early age. I mean, even when I was a baby, I was out there. And uh, when we were growing up, he was putting us to work out there. Um, uh-huh. I was telling someone, he, there's all these trails on the ranch. And um, when I was probably eight, he had us like clearing trails. And we would like walk <laughs> the same part of the this. trail like back and forth you know, hundreds of times to make sure 
all of the vegetation was like matted down uh-huh. and this was our activity, but we loved it. I mm-hmm. mean, in hindsight, it's like, why did we think that was fun? Yeah. But we had the <laughs> no, time of our life fun. out there. You're outside yeah. and you're, and, and so you grew up, so you would spend all this time there. Yes. And when you, would you go, like, did you ride horses? Did you? Yeah. I mean, we, we really did everything out there. Like I learned to drive a car out uh-huh. there. Um, you know, we, go fishing, hunting, like all kinds of stuff. Um, And it's mostly just stuff that my grandfather has always been passionate about and he just wanted to introduce it to us. And are you, are you close with your grandfather? Like, is, is, is he like a preeminent role model in your, in your life? Like Like the patriarch of, yes, for sure. I like um, both of my grandparents. So we would, my parents would send us out there. They called it Camp Gramsci when uh-huh. we were little and they would just send us out to the ranch with only our grandparents. So my parents mm-hmm. wouldn't come, um, which I'm like, I don't know if many grandparents are signing up for that with four kids <laughs> today, <laughs> but, um, but it was so fun. I mean, we would just run around out there and I feel like we really got to have such a special relationship with my grandparents and still today are so close with them because of that time. And, and that's sort of where the, the reverence for this, the West, r- the West yeah. and this ranch lifestyle yes, came from. Absolutely. And there's so many of, you know, our family milestones that we've celebrated out there. Mm. Um, so it just, it's a place that I think I've, I've always felt like very grounded and always have come back to of, you know, Midland, I grew up, I went to school there, but mm-hmm. the ranch is kind of where I feel like kind of come home. alive, come yeah. alive a little bit. Absolutely. And okay. So you're, and you said your, your family has a, a family business. What does, what is that? So, um, I'll kind of get into like a little bit, uh, this might be a longer answer than you were wanting. Yeah, but, we, got um, lots of, <laughs> this, we got lots of time. <laughs> I think it might help to explain a little bit. Um, so when I think about the journey that I'm on today, mm-hmm. so I've actually more recently like started diving into our family history. I knew it um, more mm-hmm. on the surface previously, but I've been reading a lot more text and getting more into some of the stories. And, um, you know, I've realized that I come from a really long line of pioneers and it's kind of seeped down through every generation. So my great, great great-grandfather, I think it is, actually um, originally patented a wire fence tightener, so like a barbed wire fence tightener. Okay. And um, That's cool. My dad likes to say that kind of changed the fate of our family because he didn't have a lot to his name prior to that. I think he had built his own sod house that got washed away, and um, mm. creating that wire fence tightener allowed him to then, um, you know, raise livestock and accumulate some wealth and then um, be able to kind of put his family in a different position. So. Mm-hmm. Um, my family, you know, in a sense has those ranching roots all the way back to like the 1890s. Um, but then, you know, as it came down through the generations, um, I think that pioneering spirit has evolved in different ways. So, um, you know, my great grandfather actually was, you know, one of the wildcatters out in West Texas who went out there in search of oil and he established, um, the energy business that my dad still runs today okay. and it's family owned business. Um, but that I think what I've realized in reading all these texts is just how interconnected ranching and energy is. Mm-hmm. Um, because if ranching is owning rights to the land and energy is owning the rights to the minerals, they're yeah. really, um, 
it's kind of this symbiotic relationship. And they're very land oriented. Yes, exactly. Land, land oriented. And there's like speculation and there's risk yeah. and there, there's entrepreneurship. Yes, mm-hmm. to, absolutely. To all of it. I mean, and those were, you think about like some of the original entrepreneurs or pioneers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it really looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the people that went west, those are the types of things they were doing. They were mm-hmm. raising livestock. They were um, looking for these kind of natural resources like mm-hmm. energy or minerals or things like that. Um, so I think it's interesting, you know, while I haven't taken that path to go into our family business um, or even work in agriculture, like in a way I've kind of charted a different um, pioneering path in yeah. a different industry, but it still has that same spirit. And so, but you grew like, if if your dad if there's a family business and he he's running this oil or mineral yes. business, you were around business as a kid. Like there's, yes. there's a difference yeah. between like my dad's a, you know, an accountant, accountant or yeah. a, a doctor. <laughs> like it's, yeah. just, it's just a different at the dinner table. You're, you're, you're t- like you you live and die by what you yeah kill so to speak. Well, and I think you know, um, in West Texas, a lot of the economy out there lives by like the boom and the bust mm-hmm. of oil. And so, um, that's a good way to describe it. The boom and the bust. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it, it's great. And yeah. sometimes it's well, and you learn a lot as you go through those cycles. And I think it kind of breeds a different type of person to mm-hmm. be able to weather, um, that roller coaster in a sense. Yeah. Um, and you're thinking about business in a different way. And so you, and you said there's, you have, Three other siblings. Yes. Four of y'all. And where are you at in the... I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. Yes. So you're like the leader of the... Yes. <laughs> Whether they like it or not. <laughs> so, so you were the oldest. So so you have this like ranching background, this oil kind of family family business background. Yep. You know, like getting shipped off to the ranch. Yeah. And were you, were you entrepreneurial as a kid? Like did you gravitate yeah. towards... Well, clearly like trailblazing and taking risk is like in your family blood yeah they've been doing it for generations yeah and I think a lot of so yes I've always felt like I like when I was little I wouldn't have called it entrepreneurial but I always was very ambitious Mm. um like I when our company was purchased I had to do this leadership profile and they literally make you tell them you know everything about your life and career path from when you're a baby to today. Mm-hmm. And so in telling that, I realized there were things that I had done as a child that probably weren't normal in a sense. Like when I was in first grade, I wanted to get in the Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so I... <laughs> For what? what? No idea the... why or how I even learned about it. But um, uh-huh. I... So I tried to convince my whole class to build the longest paper chain. Like, you know how you put the circles? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, the longest paper chain in history. Um, and we didn't quite make it there, but you I had just, a vision <laughs> yeah. and you had, we're going to, you know, it's like, why did I want to do that? And why a paper chain? No yeah. idea. But I always felt this pull to um, like pursue ambition and mm. it's looked very differently throughout the course of my life. But I think a lot of that has come from, you know, watching my dad and um, you know, he was, in a sense, um, he like has run our family business as like part of a legacy. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was his choice to do it. But separate to that, he's also always been a very curious, very 
entrepreneur, entrepreneurial type person. Like mm-hmm. he um, was an off-road rally racer for a little while. He at one point wanted to be, I think it was like the Scrabble champion of the world. Um, so <laughs> okay. I always watched yeah. him just like have these different projects and things. Uh-huh. And I think that really, as a kid, I just found that to be very interesting. And, um, you know, I think from a young age, I had a similar approach to life where mm-hmm. I always was kind of going after something. Um, you had a goal, you had a yes, mission. You yeah. Had... And it hasn't always been a straight line. Something I mean, you were chasing. I'm not like, you know, in a paper chain business today, but, yeah, but, but <laughs> like whatever the thing is, it's captivating your, yes, I, I can relate that. I always have. Yeah. Some I mean, sort you of, have so many businesses like, yeah, I have something I have to be chasing or I'm really bored. Yeah. Whether it, whatever it is, like but, a goal or even, mm-hmm. you know, personally, I feel like I've always I am very attracted to like expanding my mind and expanding my skill set and trying to do things I don't know how to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's probably at the core okay. of it. So this gives me some context. We got the ranch, we got <laughs> the family business, the dad who also is like wants to be Scrabble champion yeah. and is doing things. The paper, the, the honestly, the like the Guinness Book of World Records is very telling as a first grader. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's I'm starting to I'm starting to get the clues for the background. Okay, yeah. so then you go to New York. Yes. So my well, question. SMU. Well, you went to SMU. Yes. But New York seems like a giant stretch. Yeah. From far west Texas. It was. I mean, I think it's funny growing up in a small town because my whole life I always thought like I'm destined for bigger things. Like get me to a big city. This episode is sponsored by the Fort Worth Business Press. As a Fort Worth entrepreneur and small business owner, the Business Press is my favorite source for news and updates about the entrepreneurial community in and around Fort Worth. I read their email newsletter literally every day. It's always full of insights and stories that really matter. Are you ready to be more connected? Sign up for their free newsletter at fortworthbusinesspress.com. But... If you're like me and the newsletter just isn't enough, you can become an insider. With the code STORYTELLING10, all one word, you'll get a discount on the insider membership. Insiders receive exclusive access to special content, 24 issues of the business press delivered to your door each year, and discounts on event registrations and more. Join me and the Forward Business Press in staying up to date on the people, companies, and issues that matter most to Fort Worth. Are you a small business owner or an entrepreneur? Do you do marketing for a small business? If so, I have something that I want to give you and it's totally for free. We've put together a free resource at sixapstorytelling.com slash download. And it's the secrets, it's the tips, it's the tricks, it's the tools of the trade. It's literally everything we do at Six App Storytelling to help small businesses grow. Go download it today at sixapstorytelling.com slash download. This episode of Stories with Soul is brought to you by TCU Neely Institute for Entrepreneurship and Innovation. They're ranked as one of the top entrepreneurship programs in the country, and they live by the Neely promise to unleash human potential with leadership at the core and innovation in our spirit. The Institute has recently launched the Horn Frog Investment Network, which leverages the expertise and experience of entrepreneurs, 
business leaders and investment professionals. They source, evaluate, and invest in the next generation of innovators. Crazy cool. And as an entrepreneur myself, I know the importance of finding great help. It can truly make or break your business. Luckily, as Fort Worth entrepreneurs, we have access to some of the top up-and-coming minds in the nation. If you're a business looking for talented students and interns, visit the Neely School of Business website to learn more about the Entrepreneurial Intern Scholars Program. They're actively looking for placements for their incredible students. They're doing amazing things, and it's exciting to see the next generation of entrepreneurs grow and flourish right here in our city. City. So did you want to get out? Did you have I the, did. I, you have the, I want to get out of here? It was like, get me the hell out of here. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm destined for big things. Um, but like, I never really, um, you know, and I had tried and done a couple of things, um, myself, but then my husband actually got the job in New York and he said to me when we were moving up there, um, he's like, listen, you have a month to find a job or we're going to run out of money. <laughs> so <laughs> like start taking interviews and get out there. And were you doing, did you go to, at SMU, did you study marketing? Was so it was a new major called markets and culture. Okay. Um, so <laughs> again, just taking my own path, um, <laughs> but it kind of, it's a little bit of sociology, anthropology and business combined. Um, well, and so- I, I didn't have, and you know, at the time I didn't really know coming out of college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to do something creative. I started as an art major. Um, okay. That's interesting. <laughs> so, what was your art? I really liked like just pencil and paper. Okay. Um, so nothing special, very simple. Are you a good, a good drawer? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty decent. I, in hindsight, I was never really like the best in the class, um, but I loved doing it. Okay. And so, and I found it, I, again, I think it was one of those things that I really wanted to challenge myself and um, kind of learn the skill and of the it process. All. And yes, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I found, um, you know, in a way, like the process of art to be very, I guess, like therapeutic and, you know, it forces you to think about things in a different way. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it really, ironically, I didn't end up going down that path whatsoever. Um, but so when we got to New York, I was pretty lost. I really was just taking any interview I could. Um, lots of, you know, it kind of ran the gamut of anything you can imagine. And somebody connected me to one of the big ad agencies and they had like an entry level job. Um mm -hmm. And somehow I got the job. I really did not have many qualifications, <laughs> um, but I, I've always been a hustler and I've always worked really hard. And so I knew that if I just got in there, I could prove to them that if nothing else, I was going to work hard and yeah. I was going to deliver on that. Um, and that's pretty much what I did in that first job. And you were, were you, were you on the account side? Were you on the creative side? Were you on? Yeah. The... Cause you know, agency world, obviously you little have bit, your own. <laughs> um, I was on the account side. Okay. So, um, you know, I, f I actually really loved it because I felt like you got to see every part of the process. And the thing that I really gravitated to in advertising was you get to know a lot of different businesses and mm -hmm. a lot of different industries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so in a way it is kind of entrepreneurial because you have your finger in a lot of different things. Yeah. And that's why, like, that's why I love the marketing world. I, yeah. I love, I'm really good at like starting or taking, like taking off and I'm not good at landing. Yeah. And in the marketing with the agency, like I get to, 
take, take off. off. With <laughs> and then a you're lot like, now it's yours. But it's fun. It's fun. You yes. really get like a crash course in whatever businesses you're helping and working with and yep. doing that. And so were you when you moved to New York, like were you, what what'd your parents say? Were they like I mean, they were excited. I think they were always like I remember my 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 aunt telling me she's like this was always my dream. Like mm-hmm. I always wanted to live in New York. You're getting to do it now. You're young. Like make the most of it. Um I was really actually scared. I remember the day my husband told me about his job, I was so excited for him, but I like cried in the bathroom (laughs) (laughs) because I was like, I have no idea like what I'm getting into. I don't know anyone there. I don't have a job. Like, you know, I was from a small town. It wasn't like I had had a lot of exposure to New York prior Mm -hmm. to that. So, but there is something like there's so much energy in the city yeah and it's so confusing and crazy there's something like you go there and if you can conquer that yeah, yeah. you I can mean, figure it out then you're like i can do anything yeah. totally i can get on the subway i can yes <laughs> like all our, all our friends that moved there they're like there was some there's like a transformation that happens <laughs> yeah. if you can like survive living there yes and thrive like you when you become very like self-reliant because you mm-hmm. really have to figure things out on your own i mean yeah people are not holding your hand. No, nothing is convenient. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. You remove all the comfort, but then you're surrounded. I always joke with Jamie, like when we were walking down the street, I'm like, can't you just feel the energy yes. here? Cause everyone is chasing their dreams. Yep. And I feel like I can, it's like palatable. I can smell it when we're walking down the sidewalk. And Jamie was like, all I can smell is <laughs> garbage. Is that, yeah. With that, <laughs> that guy, a homeless man just peed on the side of the wall. And I was like, <laughs> Ignore that. Yeah. People yeah. here are a going to both. Yeah, they're on yeah. auditions. They're going trying to work at Wall Street. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a I have a love hate with New York. Yeah. Like I because there's so much energy. Yeah. Did you ever want to live there? No, I never wanted to live there. Yeah. But I, <laughs> you wanted to live there. I, oh, you did. Yeah. We had yeah. fights I about that. I see you living there. Yeah, we did have a few uh, early marriage. But like our record label was there. Our booking agency was oh, there. Oh, really? So we spent a lot of time there. And you, when you're there, there's all this, there's energy. And yes. There's people doing big things. And it's yep. exciting. Like, but then it's also like overwhelming and inconvenient, as I said. It's, like, yes. it's very inconvenient if you have like a bus and a trailer and music gear. Oh, totally. Well, like, even, you know, an apartment in New York, have like a washer and dryer yeah. is very rare. It's like, how is this city so evolved yet? The way that we live is very um, basic. But magic things happen. I mean, there is. Yeah. A, so, yeah. so you learn. How, how long were you all there? Almost eight years. Eight years. Okay. That's a long yeah. time. So you learned, you become like an advertising guru in this time. <laughs> uh, a full on New, York, New Yorker. You're like, we're, we're thriving. We were in we're, it. Yeah. You're in it. Yeah. And so y- you. That, that's that was like the the background of yeah. of the of ranch water. That's that's where the and I think it was, you know, when you're away from home, mm-hmm. I think in a way it forces you to think about how you define yourself yeah. outside of the context of the things you're familiar with. Um, mm-hmm. That's an eloquent. That was an eloquent way of saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and so for me, being in New York, um, I think it really. Like, of course, I felt very homesick in the beginning, but it also made me realize how unique the way that I grew up was and how much that had kind of made me the person that I was. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I think it's something that I really leaned into up there because it's not 
something that a lot of other people were familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly this Texas very culture. rare that people had even been out to West Texas. So much less far West. Like, yeah. Or even, far West Texas or even drink a ranch water. That's like a novel thing. Yes. I feel like to New Yorkers. Exactly. Well, and that's kind be. of like, I think so, you know, I like to say like when you telling stories to people is like how you kind of set the stage for who you are. And, um, and it was difficult in the beginning for me to connect with people in terms of like where I come from. And because when you say some of the places on the map, people just, their eyes would glaze over. They really didn't You're care. Like outside of Dallas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we have no idea what that means. Yeah. Um, and so I started to tell this story of ranch water in a way that kind of let me share a little bit more about where I come from but in a way that was interesting to people. And it became like my party trick. And then I found people, you know, introducing the cocktail to their friends. So would you order it at bars or would you make it for people or like? I would make it for people. I would, I would order it at bars, but you know, a lot of times bartenders like, what the hell is that? Um, Let me teach you. Yeah. But the (laughs) second you say it, people are immediately like, what is that? Um, And so it just opens up the door to talk about where I came from Um, in a different way you know, everybody loves to have a drink. So mm-hmm. it's an easier way to come to the table and share some of that. So it was kind of like, it's kind of like your cowboy boots. Like wearing yes. cowboy boots out in the mountain in New York. It's like, this is People my... are like, why are you wearing those? Yeah. Like, I'm from Texas. Exactly. And, and the, so you'd be at a bar or at a party and you'd, yes. you'd be like, I'm going to get a ranch water. And they're like, yes. what is that? Well, I'm from West Texas. and Exactly. And so that was sort of your, um, I don't know. It was like my badge. Yeah. Like I... Bad, like, there's nothing more yeah. Texan than like a Texan outside of Texas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was my like, <laughs> I'm a Texan here. Yeah. Um, yeah. It br- it br- New York kind of brought the, brought it out of you. A yes, bit. exactly. Um, and I loved, have you guys ever heard the legend behind Ranch Water, the cocktail? I, no. You might have read I, it. I have <laughs> Googling it, but I was, I was going to ask you about it. So. So, um, I also, I just think like telling the legend to, to people yeah, give us the legend is something like a... that was always really fun. So in West Texas, as the legend goes, it was originally concocted by this wild haired rancher. And after drinking it, he followed miles of Texas stars until he fell asleep under a pinon tree. Um, and it said that the place that he started and concocted ranch water was actually in Fort Davis where my family's ranch was. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, wow. you know, we had always drank ranch water, but I also think like, I just felt connected to it culturally because I felt like it represented that part of far West Texas that was so special to my family. And wild haired rancher. Yeah. I mean, it just gives that's you really a visual. What I, that's really what I wrote down. You, <laughs> yeah. said, you said the exact phrase. Yeah. And he, and he, you followed the stars for, fi- he got drunk. Yes. Followed well, the stars yes. for 50 miles. <laughs> And then he wound up in Marathon. So he's from Fort Davis, right? Yes. And then wound up in Marathon. Which is like 50 miles away. Yeah. So I who knows? I love everything about this. What he yeah. was doing. But yeah. it was yeah. a special drink, obviously. <laughs> yes. Um, had him going on an adventure. Um, so yeah, so I just, and I think like a lot of, you know, great Texan things, there's a legend behind it. Yeah. And people yes. just love that. Um, yeah. So I feel like the more I was telling people about that, the more interested they were and so you'd um, order it and you'd kind of be like, well, here's the story. And this yeah, is they're what, like, this what is, is a ranch water? And this is where my family is from. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like, oh, like I didn't know that about you. Because uh-huh. um, in New York, I feel like in a way you kind of start to conform to the culture. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, then when you like share things like that, people are very surprised. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, so that that's, was that's that's a great story. My yeah. party trick. <laughs> and okay, have you done anything with the phrase "wild-haired rancher"? I haven't. I should. That needs to be something. I yeah, I think like the visual of that to me was always just so like I immediately saw the story, mm -hmm. and you know, out of that was really the brand, and I think just that name itself. Like I envisioned my grandfather and my great grandfather, uh -huh. you know, and the kind of things they would do, like maybe <laughs> we all have a little yeah. wild hair in us. And okay. that's why like, yeah. we are where we are. So you're, you're, this is your party trick. This is, yeah. this is your doubling down kind of yep. the sentimental yes. upbringing. And but also your day job, I think is so cool. Cause if like you're mentioning the advertising, I don't know if you stayed on the account side, but you're essentially for years studying consumers yes. and their habits and their buying habits. Yep. And so that's yeah. kind of interesting. Well, and it really, I mean, it was the best education I could have gotten in building a brand um, mm -hmm. because of those things. You really, you're thinking so strategically about like, what is the problem this business needs to solve? How do they need to connect with their consumers in a different way or a better way or whatever it is? Um, and so I think just the foundation of that obviously in starting there, I, in a way had a head start in building my own brand. Right. Mm -hmm. So when did it go from the story and the legend and the thing I order bars to, I have an I idea. Like when did the idea like come up? Um, up? It's hard to like pinpoint a specific moment, but I remember seeing, so hard seltzer started to come out. Um, at the time I had seen spiked seltzer, which was like the OG in New York. <laughs> and, um, and I, it was just a very interesting proposition to me. And so I think starting to see those, the idea was percolating. Like, mm -hmm. like okay, were you an RTD drinker? Like, is that something that you would go to a store and be like, Oh, I want to try. So I had never bought us. And I actually still today, I don't think I've ever bought a traditional hard seltzer, like okay. a white claw or truly. Or, mm -hmm. um, I just never, I love the proposition of it. But I never felt like I would consider myself more of like a beer drinker. Um, I never felt like it had the same like swagger as yeah. getting a can of beer. Like I'm yeah. like, I'm going to drink that. I might as well just <laughs> make my own cocktail. Skinny yeah. And yeah. Colorful and fruity. Yes. And yeah. I, I can, I can see that there's, yeah, there's something, this is probably the wrong word, like not manly. And I know you're not trying to do, you're not manly. Yeah. Like, well, like never, it, it's like a little soulless. Like yeah. it felt like, yes. okay, like it's more like a sparkling water type <clears throat> mm -hmm. thing. Um, and, you know, when you're out and you're getting a drink, like you want it to be something that you're excited about. So I actually, I, I don't know why, but I never was like a hard seltzer person. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think when we saw this category start to emerge and then started thinking about you know, obviously this was like my drink that I had introduced all these people to. Mm -hmm. I just felt like there was a real white space there in that um, it was something that clearly people wanted. They wanted something that was lighter, um, you know, that they felt like they weren't making as many trade-offs in terms of um, calories and um, high alcohol content and things like that. Yeah. And But there was nothing that was more like akin to a beer that still mm -hmm. had those same attributes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm a low carb guy. Yeah. I don't like carbs. And so I, in theory, the seltzer, I'm like, that's totally, but there's something like, I just wouldn't order it. Like, yeah. Like I, for a little while 
you know, I would drink like a Michelob Ultra, mm-hmm. but you never feel like, oh, like I'm going to have a like a blast <laughs> today yeah. sipping on my Michelob Ultra. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. I feel like it just doesn't have the same kind yeah. of appeal to yeah. me as a brand. Um, as like a Shiner box. No. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think I just felt like there was an opportunity there to also create like a real brand with mm-hmm. a story to tell versus um, I think they had started to like bring it down to a place that felt commoditized and just it was all about the product attributes and less about the brand, um, which mm-hmm. in alcohol, you know, it there are so many great legacy brands like that's. Mm-hmm how the industry was built. So for that category to not have um, that option, I just felt like was a huge, you know, opportunity for us. And then separate to that, a lot of the seltzers at the time, they were these like more vodka inspired um, Mm. seltzers. And we have always been big tequila drinkers. um, Obviously I'm sure as most Texans. um, (laughs) And so we felt like there was an opportunity to introduce this like, flavor profile into hard seltzer that was Mm -hmm. that kind of tequila inspired a little bit more complexity not just like the fruity flavors skinny Mm -hmm. cans so did you make a business plan like what 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 was next okay yeah kind of got this idea there's a need my advertising brain is going telling the story and you're you're probably mapping out the brand in your head yes but were you like making a spreadsheet like so i at the time like the first step um I, so I started doing a ton of research just to okay. understand the landscape. I mean, I had never worked in alcohol before, so I had no clue. So just like late night Googling kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, thankfully our generation, you can yeah. find information on Google anything. University. There's so much to learn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I started there, but then really the first, I would say, formal step I took is I had worked with a designer at um, one of the agencies I was at and I hired him separately and said, look, like this is my vision for this brand. Can you help me just start to visually bring it to life um, Mm -hmm. into something that feels more concrete? So you started with the branding. Started with the branding. Okay. Um, And you're putting some money down now. Yeah. So I discreetly much, my husband's like, I think I paid him like $5,000 at the time, which in New York is a lot of money. And so my husband's like, why did you do this? Like, that we're without never going to get that bi- money without back. Without a business plan. You're- <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, let me just see. So I love that that was your, your first approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure my background. Um, and so then, you know, we started to get to a place where I felt like, okay, this is coming to life. Like this feels like a real thing. Was it, was that the, the same branding it is today? Like, is that? No, okay. we actually, I mean, it's funny to look back at like all the early work because <laughs> the evolution. it's really, yeah. I mean, we got to the place we are today with him, like mm-hmm. eventually, but um, we looked at a lot of different things. I mean, originally it was super simple. It was actually just a like silver can with a very simple black brand mark, um, which isn't that different. Now mm-hmm. we're like a stucco colored can <laughs> with black brand mark. Um, so yeah, I think that was... It just started to take shape. And then, you know, from there, we continued to do research. Um, My husband and I actually decided, like, let's go down to Mexico and just understand the tequila landscape and, um, you know, what that what the distillers look like and if there are any viable partners. And so we went down there kind of like in search of that, but also for fun. Mm -hmm. Um, 
hopped in the back of this stranger's Jeep and tried a lot of tequila. That sounds fun. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. And we're like going in the back door of these places. Like the grandmas are bottling or putting the label on the bottle. And it was just the most incredible experience. Met so many amazing people. Um, and so that kind of then, you know, the idea of like what the liquid could look like is percolating in our head. And, um, and then from there, um, I, I don't think I've ever told it this long before. <laughs> I'm like, this story is really, um, from there. So I was working at an agency called Anomaly at the time. Um, they almost, so they're a traditional ad agency, but they also have like intellectual property. Like they played a hand in, um, bringing EO slip bomb to life. Mm. Um, wow. and so like starting at that agency, I had always said like, this is the last agency job I think I'm ever going to have because I thought it was a stepping stone to something entrepreneurial. I just didn't know what it was. And mm -hmm. they had this brand incubator where as an employee, you could pitch an idea. And then if you won the pitch, they would give you some resources at the agency to bring it to life. So I had done the foundational work. I had kind of my pitch. I had the initial, like, this is what the brand and packaging looks like. We had started down the path of what the liquid was going to taste like. And then I went into um, Anomaly's pitch process and actually won it. And I think awesome. for me, that was the first moment of, okay, if these people, you know, on Madison Avenue in New York believe that this is a real idea, then we got to make a run for it and mm -hmm. really try yeah. to that go vote for of it. confidence of like, okay, like yeah. legit people think this could be a legit thing. Yes, exactly. So were you like mixing it in your kitchen? Were you like, <laughs> did you bring them? Did you make ranch waters for people? I did. Okay. So when we like Shark Tank style, everybody gets a sip. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I think it was like nine a.m. and I actually was pregnant at the time, so I think they were okay. like, "Oh yeah, what in the world are and you?" Doing? And you told the wild-haired rancher story. Yes, told the story. I think I brought like a cactus into the pitch, okay, just to really get them in yeah. the mood. Um, and so yeah, we won and. Um, they essentially gave us resources to like put the finishing touches on the packaging and the brand and all of that. Um, and separate to that, so to the kitchen <laughs> mixing, we were then connected with like a commercial formulation partner. So this is, um, you know, you work with them to bring to life a formula that your product can be shelf stable and all of that. Um, so they would ask us like, okay, what is your ideal recipe? So we literally had like measuring cups. We would mix it all in our kitchen and we would send them like notes, like, okay, uh -huh. like two parts this, one part that, like just a squeeze of lime. Uh -huh. um, yeah. <laughs> and they would send us back all these samples. And so- um, was, it, was that in New York? Was that like- Yeah. <laughs> it was, so, it was, so you're kind of just- Yeah, in New York, like we would just, you know, kind of tinker around. They would send us samples. We would send them notes. Um, and so- then we really, we started to get really close on the liquid and what we felt like, actually, this is really good. I think mm -hmm. I could get behind this in a way that I think does right by ranch water in West Texas. Um, and so having those two things, like it felt like we were headed down a real path. Mm -hmm. so. And did you have a, like a performer or anything yet? Or is it still just... So, and the reason I ask, yeah. so what, what <laughs> it's like, did you have a business but, plan? <laughs> because it's, this is fascinating to me, like hearing you tell your stories is like how my brain works. Like, yeah. I have never made a business plan. Yeah. Before, but I, I tend to think in like brand 
yes. product and what's the story? Like that's where I go to. Totally. Mm-hmm. And so like it fascinates me like the business side of it because I'm like, I don't know how to, I've always been like, we'll, well figure yeah, that out it's later. More, um, like it's a little bit more complex once you add in all those layers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you're, but you're, you got the brand, you got the, the liquid. The liquid. Well, so at the time, I think I was kind of biting off these chunks uh-huh. in a way to prove to myself, like, this is something I would be willing to put it all on the line for. Like okay. I, I think in the the process. So I think if could I make a good enough product? That's, could I make a good yeah. enough product? And could the brand represent like the spirit of West Texas in a way that mm-hmm. I would be really proud of? And that um, was your aspiration then. I want to yes. capture the spirit of West Texas. Yes. I love that. And so that's where I think like biting off these chunks and going through these steps, it was more proving to myself that this was something like I would be willing to go all in on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once we got to that point, we actually, our neighbor in New York at the time was from Texas. Um, and so we clearly became great friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Thank <and> God. <laughs> yes, I know, right? And he worked in private equity and um, he sat down with us and basically as we were going in to formulate the liquid, it was a pretty big investment for us. I think it was like ten to $15,000. So. Mm-hmm. He said, like, listen, in the grand scheme of things, that's nothing. Let's split it. Let's see if the liquid gets there. And then let's like your neighbor said that. Our your neighbor. neighbor. So, yeah, so he split split the He split it. And that's cool. I think it's like that kind of reduced the risk into like a palatable place. And it's for empowering. Us. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you almost need sometimes those instigators mm-hmm. to push you along um and like make the risk seem like it's not as big. Mm-hmm. Um, so we invested in that. And then from there. So you've got five grand in the branding. You got like 15 grand. Yeah. In the um, liquid in, development, so, which for us, we're like, well, <laughs> there goes like our savings. Like, yeah. Yeah, let's just throw it all away. Hopefully this works. Um, yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Of, well, especially just you're, you're really living. I mean, like in a way, paycheck to paycheck because yeah. everything's mm-hmm. so expensive. Right. Um, and so. From there, like, we really started to build out, okay, what would the business model look like? Mm -hmm. And um, that's when we started to look at how do we produce this and um, what kind of partners do we work with? What does that mean for our margin and what kind of price would we sell this at? So that's where we took more of the formal steps into building out a business plan. Um, And was the private equity neighbor helping with that piece? Yes. Yeah. And I think... To him, this was second nature, mm-hmm. um, whereas like that was not, I mean, yeah. just like you said, that was not my background. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm like, I can hardly do complex Excel formulas like mm-hmm. that is just <laughs> not my strength. So, um, so he and my husband as well, you know, having come from a finance background, they both were really instrumental in wrapping some rigor around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we got our production partner um in place like we had our liquid we had our brand had you quit yet are you still, you're still no working? so i'm still well and okay. that's the other thing i think the this journey was probably three years um mm. just because it was like we had such a busy life oh three years of this kind yeah. of product development testing just like tinkering around yeah. like could we do this like it was kind of just a fun thing on the side mm. um but because we were, we were all working full time. Like it wasn't something all of us could just go all in and say day in, day out, we're going to think about this. Um, 
So, you know, at this point, like we're getting to um, 2019, we have those pieces built and um, we're like, we actually made a hire. We're like, we need to bring someone on to really be in the business day to day. So we hired a salesperson. Um, And so we... We're paying him then out of our own pocket. So you, you had a, you, at that point you had a brand. You're like, it's called. We had a brand. We're like, this is close enough. It's like, called, it's called Lone River. Like Lone River and Ranch Water was our product. Okay. Um, and so we were like, let's bring a sales guy in and see if we can go out and pitch this and get some traction. And did you, did you, while he's going out and pitching it, had you already ordered a bunch of cans? Like, or is it still? So we hadn't ordered. We basically were getting we were doing our test runs at okay. the production facility. So and it's not like you had like a thousand cases or anything. No, not, we hadn't ordered a quantity yet. Okay. So this is like. So he's pitching sort of the. He's pitching just like a piece of paper. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we actually, we had these like test cans that were just silver cans. Uh-huh. So, you know, it probably looked super sketchy to people. Uh-huh. Um, and like, we actually were still in the test runs. We were like tinkering with the liquid. Like we were getting it to a hundred. So some of the stuff that he was pitching wasn't even our final final. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but in order to sell the product, we had to get a distributor. So we, one of the first meetings he got us was with Benny Keith in Texas. Okay. Um, Which is like the biggest. I was going to say that's a good one. Yeah. They're huge. I mean, (laughs) it's a good meeting. I don't even think we realized like their scale and reputation going into the meeting or I would have been way more nervous. (laughs) Um, But we show up. I'm with him. We do the pitch. I like took the day off from my ad job. <laughs> and you flew, did you fly to Texas? To flew to Texas. Okay. Um, went into the meeting, did our pitch, explained the product. I think we had one of the silver cans they tried. And on the spot, they're like, we love it. We'll take it. How soon can we get it? And so, we kind of so looked at each like, other. We're like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> I, like, I didn't tell them that I had another job still. <laughs> yeah. Um, or that I hadn't actually made any. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> or that I was, like, paying our sales guy on Venmo. And was he full-time or was he just part-time? <laughs> he was full-time. And I'm you, sure he was like, what the hell have I And you convinced to? that guy. We convinced him to work with us. You didn't have a real company yet. Nope. Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, it was real, but you didn't, you weren't, you weren't like sitting on units of, or cases. But they hadn't, yeah. they hadn't yeah. sold them. Well, we didn't have like any legit yeah. produced product. I'm sure he was like, but it takes a certain kind of person to jump yeah. into yeah. that. And he was the right person. So Benny Keith says yes. They say yes. And now so now you got to go make a bunch. We go back to New York. I'm like, we got to figure this out, like, and get the product going. So then you know, to run our first production and really produce enough product, like we're going to, we did not have that much cash. And did, and did they front you the money? No. So that, so in their payment terms, I don't know. I think they're like 90 days. So, so you have to, we you were have about to, come to up put with up money some serious cash to get the thing to yes. get to them. And we did not have nearly that. Um, and how many did they order? Is it kegs or cases or so? I guess you're not, cases. not cases. They're cases. Yeah. So they were like, in the first run, we'll take a couple thousand cases. Um, a couple thousand <laughs> Yeah. Cases. And we're like, oh boy. Which is so, how many, how many cans? And for them, I feel like that's kind of small potatoes. Like oh that's yeah. Not, they were like, we'll test it out for yeah. the first few months and see how it does. So that's like 12,000. So that's like, there's 24 cans in a case. 24,000 cans. Basically. Is what you yeah. So make. we're like, we're looking at ourselves like. Okay, we got to really pedal to the metal on this thing. Um, and you're pregnant? Are you pregnant? So I actually, okay, so I had had our baby in March. This okay. is um, like October of that year. Okay. So I had 
gone back to work for maternity leave. Oh my gosh. April, May, June, so my ad job. Like a six month old. You got seven, six and I had my baby <laughs> and we're doing this. And I, that was like probably the most like emotionally challenging period oh, because sure. I just, I could not like, I didn't have the bandwidth, um, but we were just having yeah, to figure no, it out. No one, you're launching, you're having a baby of a business yeah. launching a real baby. Yeah. The, and your job. Yeah. I mean, that was probably one of the few times in this that I like went to my husband and I'm like, I don't think I can do it. Like, I just don't know if I have it in me to do all of this. Um, yeah. But we were nervous. I didn't want to just quit my ad job because like, you know, we needed a stable income and all of that. Like, and my husband mm -hmm. was working too, but New York is expensive. Yeah. Um, that, so, that will like age you years. Oh, I mean, that was definitely because you, you just don't know what the future is going to look mm -hmm. like. And you're making so many like big decisions and you're thinking about like, what is this going to mean for my child too? And what did your, what were your, what were like your parents saying? Were they like, my you're crazy or were they like, was, you got this? Yeah. Cause my dad are is so like, high. Like, even though he's like a total entrepreneurial kind of guy, he's also very conservative and he's like, do not give up your paycheck. Like hold mm -hmm. on to a paycheck as long as you can, because yeah. it's a real risk when you're like moving away from that. So, um, and that's probably why I like <laughs> tried to balance it all for so long. Um, so anyway, we get Benny Keith. Then we realized like we have to go raise money. We don't have enough money to produce all this product. So we did a friends and family fundraise round um, and we were able to get the money that we needed within 24 hours. What? So that was like a huge sigh of relief. In 24 hours? You In 24 raised... hours. And I think those were, that was another moment where we're like, okay, this is, the real deal. Like these people are willing to bet on us with their and own. Did money. you have like a whole equity plan shares thing for that? Yes. So yeah. You had, you had that already in the, in the wings, like kind of waiting. Yes. Well, and that was where my husband and our partner, like mm -hmm. that's their private world. equity guy. And that's, yeah. yeah, they have this all figured out, but, um, I was, had you teased, had you asked anybody before that or literally you were just, really. we basically sent out a presentation on email with like a Google spreadsheet. Just to your friends and family. And yeah, just to our friends and family. And did people already know you were doing this or was this? They probably had heard, but they hadn't seen nearly like the level of work that we had done. And so I think they, um, they literally just filled out a Google form saying how much they wanted to invest. And then that was that like, but they didn't try the liquid. They didn't even physically see us. This like, is a testament to your storytelling, <laughs> yeah. advertising genius. Yes. I will say, I really worked it on that. Um, so in 24 hours, you raised the money. We raised the money. And so then we're like, that's when I felt. But even that is crazy. Like, it was your crazy. Your whole journey has been crazy, but like. Yeah. I mean, that's where. Normally that takes like months. Well, even Benny yes. Keith saying yes on the spot is crazy. I know so it's kind of a hundred percent. I mean, we had no, ex I had absolutely no experience. They were making a real bet on us. Um, well, and separate to that. So Benny Keith that month, they said, okay, we're bringing you in, but we're going to take this to HB right away. And we want to get you on their shelf for the spring. Oh so we're gosh. like, okay, so we basically rush out a sample. So it looks exactly like the package will on shelf. Mm -hmm. We rush it to HEB, like overnight it to them. And we find out from Benny Keith in December that we have a set place on their shelf across the entire state of Texas. 
but we have to deliver the product by April 1st, 2020. So the, the biggest grocer in Texas. Yes. And the so biggest we're distributor like, in Texas. Distributor, just said yes. grocer, cash, like, yeah. let's go. So, yeah. After we raised wow. the money and HEB came back, I'm like, I got to quit my job. Like, mm -hmm. somebody's got to be at the helm of this thing. We have a real responsibility to people. So, um, we're then just, I quit my job that December and it's just a full sprint to basically give HEV a real product mm -hmm. that we can bring into the world. So in three months In three months. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and that's also just getting all of our regulatory permits and during a pandemic. So this was like, right. we didn't know the pandemic was coming. At right. This point. I was going to say, was that the same time? So yes. Like, okay. Oh my, gosh. we essentially, so February, 2020, I fly out to my family's ranch with my husband and our daughter and I go out there to do like a quick shoot to get all the assets we need to like launch the brand in Feb April. February 2020. February 2020. Okay. This is when you're like, it's happening in India and China and I'm kind of here about it. And <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, like, so the in shoot Italy was or whatever. like be end of February, beginning of March and the last day of shoot shoot like the crew goes we don't feel comfortable like the lockdown is rolling out now mm -hmm. right or like we don't feel and new comfortable. york was kind of at the f helm at the beginning as yes. far as u.s so but we like so we had already gone to texas at that point like and just thinking we're gonna be there a week we're gonna do the shoot at the ranch we'll come back so the last day of the shoot the crew's like we got to get back home like we don't know what's gonna happen so we cancel the last day and so, like, my brother-in-law, like, I didn't get any headshots of myself for our PR team. So my brother-in-law was like, well, I have a nice camera. Like, just I'll go out there and I'll take some pictures of you. And so, like, he ended up, <laughs> like, doing all of my headshots. Um, but long story short, like, the full lockdown happened. And so this is, you know, early to mid-March. And we still have this ticking time to get the product to the shelf. So. Everything you can imagine went wrong. Like our cans were stuck somewhere. We almost didn't get our TBC permit in time. And I'm just like, we hardly get cell reception at the ranch. So I'm like driving to the top of a hill in the ranch truck, just calling people, begging them, like, please, can you just like get this here or like trying to find some kind of solution. And by the grace of God, we got the product delivered for the shelf. Mm -hmm. um, and wow. then of course they moved it back, but like, had we not done that, I think it would have been a much different journey for us. Um, but it was really, I think I forget how challenging that period was because like, not only was it everything happening on the business, but like our life was entirely. Did you go back to New York? No. New York is like shut down and closed. So we didn't go back until October of 2020. You went for a week and a then week. stayed for... Like, I'm talking packed. Wait, we had a friend do that. <laughs> yeah. They came yeah. and stayed at our house. They live in Brooklyn and then ended up staying for, like, a, five like or a six month? weeks or, like, a month. Yeah, anyways. Well, because you couldn't really... During, it was, like, March something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyways. Like, you couldn't even really... You didn't feel comfortable getting on a plane. So... Yeah. With a baby and... Yeah. All the things. Like, and so our parents took us in um, and we lived with them until we moved to Fort Worth. So, like... That is so crazy. Yeah. I mean, we had nothing. Like, I'm talking, I had, like, one pair of pants. <laughs> like, it was really... Wow. <laughs> and you go from, I'm shopping in New York to I'm shopping in Midland now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my so, gosh. Yeah. It was crazy. I feel so, like that, that January to April 1st. Yeah. I'm like, 
it's it was like the ultimate test. Oh, it's totally. like amazing race. It's like here's this hurdle and here's yes. this obstacle, and you're just like running trying to get there. But I ha- I feel like just having that background, like what did you say earlier, the boom or bust. You yes. know, it's like okay, people have weathered really hard things before and yeah. they've ridden on this roller coaster and I guess I'm jumping on, you know? Well, and I think at the time, like, I think everybody, you go into survival mode. So like, it was just blinders on, like, like whack-a-mole to like the next issue. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we get to the next one? Like, let's just keep knocking this stuff out. And, but I think now when things feel like really challenging, I have to remind myself, like the way that we built the business had to have been the most challenging way to do it. And so nothing in our future <laughs> can even match that. Like yeah. we had no resources, no experience. Like we were just having to do it out of sheer will mm-hmm. to yeah. make it happen. And then luckily everyone starts drinking a lot. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. Then it is. Stuck at home. <laughs> Alcohol sales yes. go through the roof. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's where we were like, if we can just get the product on the shelf, like people were drinking, they were just clearing the shelves. They were yeah. buying everything. Um, and I remember Benny Keith was like, we don't know what's going to happen. And like people may just, you know, by buying like brands they're familiar with, like, we'll put it out there. We'll see what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So April 1st, they put our product out there. I distinctly remember I looked up in the portal, like what stores it had gone to. And there was um, a store in Dallas, like the first store that bought it called, I think it was craft beer seller. Mm-hmm. So I called the store and I'm like, Oh, like, do you have Lone River ranch water? Like, has anybody bought it? And she was like, it's already sold out. So I was Nuh-uh. like, no way. Um, and so then I, I started to feel like, cause when you, I like distinctly remember when we shipped the product, it's like, you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's when I felt like, okay, this could really be something. And then it just, I mean, our product sold out so quickly. Vinny Keith was like, how much and how quickly can you get to us? And we spent the rest of really that year just scaling up our supply chain and shipping out as much as we and could. Mainly in Texas or were you starting to expand? So we were just in Texas and Tennessee to launch okay. in that whole year. We were only sold in Texas and Tennessee. And, you know, I think when we got into that summer and our sales already put us at the number one hard independent hard seltzer in the U.S., that's when we were like, okay, like now we're in the league with the big boys. Yeah. We got to <laughs> buckle up and really get smart. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's when, you know, we started to talk to a lot of different people and understand like, how do we really need to scale this business the right way? Mm-hmm. So, so, so what'd you do? What was next? I mean, a lot of it, honestly, like 90% of our energy at that point went into supply chain because yeah. we were leaving so many sales on the table just by not being able to make enough. So and, um, and people had heard about the success. Yeah. Heard of the brand by now. So they're wanting it. Yes. And I think when you have that scarcity mentality, mm-hmm. people are just buying more and more. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, and like at the time, I think we really benefited from a lot of our marketing was digital. Mm-hmm. So it was a time when people were spending a lot of time on their phone. Um, so it was really easy for us to drive awareness. And then that was actually, you know, the consumer started doing some of the heavy lifting for us and they were sharing it with people and mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. So well, and at a time when I feel like everybody after after lockdown, even after pandemic, sort of craving connection. Yes. And I think that's what I think, you know, we talk a lot about brands that survived 
And I think a lot of the ones that did are the, are the people that have the story that have soul in their product because people aren't necessarily just looking for that transaction of I need alcohol or I need a product and you can provide that like some of the other brands that we mentioned. And instead you had that story piece, that soul. And now people are connecting not just with a seltzer and um, a drink that maybe they're familiar with, but more so a brand they want to be associated with. And so, and it's shareable because it's not just that transaction. Right. Well, and I love that you say that because I think the biggest surprise in all of this for me has been the community. And, you know, some of the first people that bought our product, like we now, and we met them on Instagram and all of that. Like we now are friends with them. We know their families. Like it feels like a real community. And I'll never forget those people that like believed in us and Mm -hmm. loved what we were doing before we really had anything to show for it. Um, And even like in the early days, I never really envisioned myself being like publicly associated with the brand. Um, And so I was always very nervous, like a masculine brand having like a female founder. Does that, you know, like change people's perceptions of it? And there was this woman um, who had kind of started this movement she calls Fancy Lady Cowgirl. (laughs) And she reached out to me on Instagram and like just said, I'd love to tell your story. And at the time I was like, I'm not really comfortable. I don't know yet. But I think like getting out there and being more open, it's connected me to so many people that I would have never met in life otherwise. Um, And I think people that will now be friends for life. And so I think that's been the most enriching part of this, like beyond anything is just that community and these people. Well, and, and like, I'm a big believer that, that people don't buy the best product. Yeah. I'm not saying you don't have the yeah, best product. Yeah, no, yeah. They buy the product that tells the best story. Yeah. Like, well, that's your whole. That's my whole, that's my whole pitch is like, yes. people don't buy the best product. They buy the ones that tell the best story. Yeah. And like, one of the reasons I was excited about for this interview and to, here that you're in Fort Worth. Like mm-hmm. I, I reference, I have referenced y'all's brand over and over, over the years yeah. or the short years. It's not, it's not <laughs> but, but as a brand that like just gets it, like yeah. because you're not saying, you know, this is the ingredients, this is the percent, like yeah. the features you're, t- you're telling a story and the story yeah. is, you know, this is my family. This is my family's ranch. It's this lifestyle. Yeah. You're selling the lifestyle. You're selling people. You're selling FOMO. You're selling. Yes. And just the, the look and the feel and then the content you have created just tells a compelling story. Yeah. But you're a part of that. Like yeah. you're, you know, this is the ranch. This right. is, you know, my grandpa and this, wild, <laughs> you know, like I, I think that's such a huge part of it. And then when people are on their phones, like every, you know, if you, if you look at so many of those other beverage companies or other businesses, they're mm-hmm. just saying, buy our product, buy our product, buy our product. Yeah. And you're saying, you know, here's you're, you're highlighting the life touch yeah. the dirt let's touch, go touch yeah. the dirt together yes, totally you know? mm-hmm. yeah, yeah i love i mean what a compliment coming from you um like having built your career around that um but i think that's where i realized like i went into this thinking like the purpose of it all for me was telling the story of ranch water and where it comes from in west texas and the culture mm-hmm. behind it and doing that in way that I believed like only a West Texan could do. Um, Mm. And then I think that our story has actually taken on 
so much more like as we've peeled back mm-hmm. the layers of the onion um you know and like now it's been this story of you know even like me being one of the few female female founders in the beer business and um kind of what it took to get our brand to that place and even you know like the lifestyle that our brand is connected to i always looked at it as like we're from such a small place on the map like this is about my family and the way i grew up but mm-hmm. i've realized like there's so many more people across the us that like represent the values of this lifestyle and they've mm-hmm. done it for generations as well and so I think that's what made this feel way bigger than our place on the map and mm-hmm. more about that lifestyle and that community um, that's even beyond like versus trying to cater to everybody. Yeah. You're like, this is, this is, there's an authenticity to it. Yes. And then just visually y'all nailed it. Just Thank with the you. design and then the Jamie's photos. like literally stood in the store <laughs> and pointed out other similar competitors. And he's like, but look at their branding. It's yeah, a lot. Just, like literally he's did that. And, the, and like <laughs> Ryan Bingham stuff. Like yeah. That whole shoot was so. Oh my gosh. That was your first like. Uh, shoot. Like first real like commercial video shoot. commercial. Well, and that was, I mean, that's where this is like so serendipitous. I mean, I would, during the pandemic, I would r- drive down the ranch roads, like listening to his music mm-hmm. and just like thinking about like what the hell is going to happen. <clears throat> and to then a year <clears throat> later have him on our ranch, like himself <laughs> with my grandfather out? there. I mean, it just was. Like, those are the moments that you're like, how did we even get here? Mm-hmm. But he was just such a salt of the earth, genuine person that I think that shoot, like, there will never be anything like that again. Oh, for it's us. so cool. And he just looks so cool. Yeah, he like, does. I, he just is a cool <laughs> looking guy. I think because it's from a real place. Like, yeah. he was a bull rider before yeah. he was a musician. But he's also got this, like, magic, skinny, lean. Yes. Totally. Cowboy. He has a swagger. Swagger. Yeah, like everything he does. Uh-huh. Um, but I just like respect him so much that to have him represent our brand, I couldn't even believe that was possible. And were you, did you like, in the early days, were you, did you hire someone to do your social media? And did you, like, were you doing it? Like It was all my husband and I. I mean, still a lot of times. Uh-huh. It's us. Um, so you did this photo shoot right before COVID yeah. at the ranch. Yes. And then are you like, so you and your husband were like. It was all us. Like, uh-huh. and I mean, there was, I would be up until like 3 a.m. some nights just because I wanted to like answer every DM. And, you know, like I had never really had experience running social media to that degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how we met so many people. And that's how we got to know so many like micro communities that are part of this. Like I grew up as part like of the Western lifestyle, but there's so many aspects to it Mm -hmm. that I wasn't as familiar with. And we've gotten to know so many people that um, their families are part of, you know, a different aspect Mm -hmm. of it. And so I think a lot of it has just been like, we've let our curiosity kind of lead us through and um, it's opened up a lot of relationships for us. I love it. Um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, family, kids, because yeah. you're, so new mom, COVID craziness, I'm yes. like, I'm a female founder. Yep. Um, uh, talk a little bit about just like the juggling act of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like don't talk about it that much, which is funny because it's 
probably the biggest part of my life. Um, but I think it's required my husband and I to be very flexible with each other um, and, you know, take the lead on different things at different times. For example, um, when we had our second child almost a year ago, um, you know, I didn't want to lose like our touch in the business. And so we talked about like, what does this look like if I even take a maternity leave? Um, and so did you take a maternity leave? I did, but the only way I felt comfortable doing it was, and I felt a responsibility to do it because I wanted to set the right example for mm. women to be able to take the time. Um, but <laughs> I really didn't feel comfortable unless my husband could come in and run the business. Because mm -hmm. at that point, post acquisition, he was not in the day to day. So we had to really work to bring him back into the mix formally. And so that's where like he was at the helm while I was then mm -hmm. with the kids and taking that time. And, um, and so I think it's been like, you know, a lot of like, we've just had to kind of look at the circumstance at that point in time and understand like how each of our roles will evolve. And, Did he quit his other, other job? Like, yeah. So, I mean, he, is he, is he, is he full time with, so he still does real estate, private equity. Okay. So he's always done that. Um, and this has always been kind of on the side for him. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think it's just like been a balance of it all and that's what he's really passionate about. So I never would ask him mm -hmm. to not do that. Um, but like the business has required different things of us at different points. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I mean, I think it certainly has probably been the most challenging in figuring out how to, always be there for your kids, but also manage a business that is growing so quickly and needs a lot of attention too. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a hard. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure y'all feel like that sometimes. Well, yeah. And I was going to ask too, because I feel like that also feels like its own little, like the motherhood roller coaster. Yes. Because there's, you know, there's some days when you wake up and you're like, absolutely. I'm going to kick butt at my job. Yeah. And I want these two little girls to see a woman, you know, getting out there paving their own path, doing something for the city, yes. you know, bringing something new and showing them what represent, you know, kind of representing, this is what y'all are capable of. Yep. And I want you to watch me step into these hard spaces, but also run something, found something. Yep. And those are like the raw, raw days. Yeah. You're like, I'm like, had just enough coffee. I feel really yes. good. And then other days I'm like in a puddle because someone texts me about a play date I can't go to. And yeah. I'm like, I'm the worst mom ever. My kids are going to think that well, you can never <laughs> I'm not here for them do it all. I mean, yeah. And so just impossible. finding that, figuring out what your own lane is. And yeah. I was just asked for you, like, what do those days look like for you as far as just the story that you're telling yourself about yeah. motherhood in this season? So, and I can't remember the exact words that she used, but um, I love Amber Vensbox who founded Like to Know It. And I always kind of look to her as a great example mm -hmm. of a mother with four kids. Yeah. Who's also built an incredible business. And she said something at one point, and I can't remember the exact words, but it was to the extent of, you know, there you can always outsource things that you do for your business, but you really can't outsource motherhood and being a mom. And so yeah. like I think I've looked at motherhood in that way of like prioritization of decisions and you know there are certain things that are non-negotiable for me and I need to be there for my kids because they need their mom there you know like yeah. when they're 
when they have their Valentine's Day party at school and every other mom is there. Like, I'm just not willing to not show up for them in those moments, even yeah. if I have to not do something perfectly or like kind of outsource it to a different person on my team. Um, but as like a doer and a touch the dirt person, it's really hard because I want to be in everything for the business and the details really matter to me. So <laughs> like you really, yes. it's not ever a perfect, it, there's never a perfect solution, but I think like understanding how to prioritize your decisions has helped me a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but with little kids, I mean, somebody said like, this is going to be the craziest season of your life. Like yeah. they just need so much from you. And, um, and so like, I think you just have to look at it also as like a huge blessing that they do. And yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't have a perfect answer. yet. But <laughs> no, I think that's good. And just um, prioritizing those things and feeling, feeling out day to day, what it looks like to create a normal for your own family mm -hmm. too. And I think that's another thing is not looking at other people, yes. what they're doing, AKA what you're not doing. Yeah. And instead kind of finding those times or for us, like around the dinner table, or we were both at our kids' Valentine's parties two yeah. weeks ago. And just those things that we we're like, okay, these are our non-negotiables, but this is also our family's normal. And it looks a yes. little different. And maybe you growing up, your dad's you know, may have spreadsheets on the dining room table yeah. and that's kind of your normal. Whereas other families, maybe they get to leave work at work. If yes. They're not running the whole thing. And so totally finding those rhythms as a family, yeah, but doing it as leave. a family. We don't leave work at work. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, and it's hard not to talk about it too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, well, and I work from home now. So I think there's also something in the pandemic that it probably afforded a lot of moms more of an opportunity to be more involved with their mm -hmm. kids because you have that flexibility. And, you know, even if it's just a quick moment where I step out between meetings and just give my daughter a hug, like that I think fills her cup and mine. And that wouldn't have ever been possible in a traditional career for me at least. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, there's some flexibility that comes with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. There's also the chaos. Sometimes yeah. you have somebody popping up in the back of a zoom call, but oh, yeah, that's kind oh, of yeah. <laughs> I, I, I always think that's fun. So was, was there, um, was there a point like, so it's now in stores, it's in bars. Mm -hmm. Do you remember like the first time you went into a bar and you ordered it or, you're with it's friends. like hearing your song yeah. on the radio for the first time. You have like a memory of like, well, I guess like bar is hard because it was so long. Like okay. because it was, you know, our first case was sold <clears throat> April 2020. By the time bars were fully back, it was like, oh, oh that's yeah, a good point. I think 2021. But I remember Did you go to like in Central HEB. Market. So <laughs> yeah, in West Texas, we went when we when it first arrived at HEB. We're like, we have to go to the store and see it. So. We went and we saw the display and we took pictures and like... Were you like we, telling people, this is mine? I mean, we were so proud and excited. We like filled up our cart because we wanted to like push it through the aisles uh -huh. and people would be like, what's that? Um, <laughs> this is really good yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm like, have yeah. y'all tried this? Yeah, have um, you heard of the wild-haired cowboy? <laughs> 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 it's a wild-haired rancher. Um, but yeah, and then like we would go back and check on the like cases every day and... Oh, you would go every day? <laughs> oh my gosh, we had to see how quickly they were selling. <laughs> Um, and we would kind of watch like who would buy them. It yeah. was so fun. That was like the best because, you know, we felt so isolated because of COVID, but that was like our daily, like outing. See how many cases sold today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Physically counting it. Yeah. <laughs> you ordered at bars, like when you were with friends and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it depends. Like 
I guess some bar, it's a little bit harder for, you know, these canned beverages to get into bars. Or in restaurants. It's in restaurants. Yeah, restaurants too. I mean, I certainly have like Billy Bob's. Are you kidding? Like I've been tempted to just like tell everybody standing at the bar with me, like everybody gets a ranch water. Uh Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think Billy Bob's is probably the most memorable drinking it there and seeing our neon up on the wall. It's like what an iconic venue. Yeah. And is it, do they sell it at Dickie's? No, we what, can't. What sports? I was at some sports. Um, they have yeah. it at like Texas A and M Stadium. Um, I mean, it's hard because it is changing like a lot as well. But I, I guess actually, I'll take that back. The first bar experience that was so memorable to me was going to Nashville, and everybody had said like that they had tried it in that. Like all these people on Instagram were like, "Oh, we tried this in Nashville on Broadway Street," but I had never been since our product was there. Going to Broadway and seeing the product in the bars was insane. I bet that was fun. I mean, it was just thousands of people everywhere. And there's a woman, she's like the only female bar owner there. And she was telling the story of how she brought it in. And it just was cool. That was a cool and memorable moment. I would be so obnoxious. (laughs) (laughs) You've done that before. This is my song. Yeah, yeah right. You know like you probably is... feel that way. Yeah, and I'm obnoxious when it happens. But like, but it's at like Home Depot, uh-huh. and so it's funny. <laughs> They're like, uh, "Are you sure?" Yeah. yeah, I was like at Central Market at the meat counter, and yeah. the song came on, and I was like, the guy was cutting my steaks or whatever. And I was like, this is my song, and he was like, "Huh?" And I was like, <laughs> yeah. "It's my song," and he's yeah. like, "Huh?" And I was like, "Never like, mind." Never mind. Yeah, I'll just feel cool. <laughs> okay, so you're rocking and rolling. People are buying it. You're juggling the supply chain. Yeah, and then. Did you get a phone call from like? Oh, Diageo. Um, yeah. Was so, that was that on like was that something was that a goal? Yeah, I mean, I think we knew the second that we took money from our friends and family. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm looking my sister in the face who's having a baby who gave mm-hmm. us money. Like, I felt an incredible responsibility to you know return value to mm-hmm. them. So I think we always believed that that was going to be the best way to do that. Um, but we didn't quite know what that would look like. And so honestly, we did not expect for it to happen as quickly as it did. I don't think anyone in the Mm. industry even did. Um, But we had a couple of inbounds from potential partners and Diageo being one. And they just, you know, the moment that we met them, I'll never forget. um, One of the leaders on the call said, like, I feel like this was written in the stars, which is a very interesting thing to say Mm -hmm. in such a business like a formal business setting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just always felt like a sense of comfort that they really believed in our vision and were going to, you know, help us grow the brand in the way that we felt it needed to grow. And Mm so um, it felt like a true partnership. And from that perspective, the decision was really easy. So so the inbound meaning, hey, we're interested in partnering or buying the company. Yep. And were you freaking out then? I mean, yeah, we were like shocked. I don't think, again, it was so early because this was, you know, the fall. And did they give you an offer? Like, yeah, so we basically got to the point, they essentially expressed interest. We had some other interested parties and, um, and then we worked with some bankers to get into the specifics of an offer and all to like get in line. You're not the only person calling. We're like, you know, do we do this now? Do we wait? Like, what's the yeah. right decision here? And, mm-hmm. but we were in a position where we had a lot of competitors coming out and really had a target on our back. And so 
we needed to really dramatically increase our resources to be able to like continue to lead the category. And honestly, I felt this responsibility to do right by West Texas. And I didn't want this to be something that turned into like a product that was created by, you know, a conglomerate and mm-hmm. didn't have that story and sense of place in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and so the best way to grow was to bring on a partner who has more money and more resources. Yeah, and more. Into all yeah. And it really was like, when you think about 500 distributors, the infrastructure required to really navigate all of that is just a lot. So not only just money, but also building out that team would have taken us probably years mm-hmm. in yeah. versus being able to partner with someone where they already have that infrastructure set. Um, and so that, you know, like it just, it felt right. It was, I think an incredible opportunity and to be, you know, partnered with a brand that's world-class and that has built and partnered with so many other world-class mm-hmm. brands. Like we just felt incredibly fortunate. And and correct me if I'm wrong. They, they didn't acquire all of y'all. They, it was like a partial, like where you got to still retain some ownership. Is that true? Yeah. So it was a full acquisition. So it was a full acquisition. But- um, contingent on my involvement, okay. which I also felt very passionate about. I, I had built this brand and put so much of myself personally into so th- it. So they bought the whole thing. Yes. But they, with you at the helm. With still. You at yes. the helm. Yeah. And so that was like on both sides, we felt mm. like that was the right thing to do. Um, but I think the challenge was, you know, my husband and our original partner, they were so involved in a lot of the business to that point. Um, but going through the acquisition, I was really like the full-time person. So mm-hmm. I, in a way had to kind of chart my own path without them as like my security blanket. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still go to them for advice all the time, but, um, you know, I think that was like a challenge just going through into a very corporate environment in a very big company and you've only been doing it for a year. Yeah. And I'm not like a classically educated or trained CEO. I've learned mm-hmm. on the job. So yeah. to then, you know, the expectations of me were very high and I really had to rise to the occasion to mm. meet that. So. And was there any like imposter? Syndrome? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, even from day one, when I'm presenting to their teams of thousands of people and. Um, you know, just wondering like, what are they thinking like about mm-hmm. this woman? Like, are they saying, why the hell is she here? Like, does she even know what she's doing? Um, but I think, you know, they could tell like how passionate I was about the business. And again, that I was going to be a hustler. Like I'm mm-hmm. going to get out there and touch the dirt with them. And I think mm-hmm. I very quickly was able to get their respect out of that approach. Yeah. That's cool. Well, congratulations to that. I mean, that's, Thank yeah. You. I mean, that's like sometimes that's, that's every, per, every entrepreneur's dream. Not everybody yeah. is, comes in with an exit plan, but for some of them, the goal is, is to do that, is to do exactly that. And they spend years, you know, working Most towards that. Most of the time it doesn't happen yeah. in a year. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hard and you really don't, after having done it, I don't know if I could have started the business knowing everything that we know now because of how much risk there is. There's no guarantee Mm-hmm. Like we yes. could have lost everything. Well, yeah. especially with product-based companies versus a service-based company because you're not just providing a certain, you know, there's yes. so much front-end money that has to go into Absolutely. the product. Oh, the, and the cash flow of it. Yes. Yeah. 
Like, have you, have you, the, the Nike, the shoe dog, have you read that book? Shoe no, dog I them. need to. You should. It's, they're like constantly running out of money. I love that. You have to buy all this inventory and then anyways. Oh yeah. That's a great, I mean, I think every on, there was a point where we almost didn't make payroll <laughs> and we were really scrapping it together. Um, but yeah. I think that's like, those are the stories that you tell, you know, years down the line. Um, is there anything that you would change if you could do it over again? Like, or any, any, like, man, we made this giant mistake. If I knew what I knew now, I would have totally done this or. I think I've learned that you are never going to have enough information when you're making decisions, even mm-hmm. now. I mean, there's decisions I have to make and I have 10% of the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I think that this path is something, again, it's so much bigger than me that I just think it was something, it was a path I was meant to go down. And because of that, I actually don't think I would change anything. I certainly mm-hmm. have not done everything right. Mm-hmm. And I have made massive mistakes, but I think those mistakes led to opportunities in one way or another eventually. Yeah. Um, biggest thing you did right. Like this was just the right, you know, one of the best decisions we ever yeah. made was X. Oh my gosh. That's a really hard one. Um, you know, I think it was probably really about the consumer and the community we connected with. I think the obvious thing that a lot of people could have done was said like, let's go find a bunch of influencers with a lot of followers and get them to post with our product. But I believed so much in representing this lifestyle in a way that was really true to what it is um, that I wanted it like the product to be in the hands of the people that would actually drink it, like the Mm -hmm. real cowboys and the people that are living this Western lifestyle day in and day out. And I think that really not only differentiated us as a brand, but I think it also helped us build a real community of people and not just being, you know, the flavor of the week for an influencer who maybe Mm they do a dozen of those types yeah. of things. Um, but it really meant something to these people and something to us to be connected to them. So mm. I guess I would say that, I don't know. That's a tough question. That's a good answer. <laughs> I think that's really good because even, um, you know, when you're, when brands are wanting to work with influencers, I feel like now there's been a tide that's kind of turned where, where they're looking less at the number of followers, if you will, and more so their engagement yeah. with their community and what, you know, does their community trust them? Do they buy the things that they talk about? Do they trust that their word means something? And yes. so it seems like y'all did a good job initially finding the right community to provide that sort of engagement that created all the initial organic growth that turned into kind of championing you, the early onset adopters, yeah. you know, being your champions throughout the process. Yep. Um, How big is your team? Like how many? So... Coming through the acquisition, our team was five people, mm-hmm. um, which is another just blows my mind and thinking about it in hindsight. Now it's, you know, probably when you look at every person that touches the business, aside from our partners, like I would say four to 500. Oh my gosh. Um, so it's certainly, and that is like where, I mean, you just think about every little thing that goes into even getting the product to shelf. Like it's no small feat. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I'm just always so grateful for any person that's willing to contribute to our business. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, you, you said earlier, like, you didn't go to formal CEO training. Which I, don't, <laughs> I don't know that even exists. <laughs> but, like, going from I'm working in a company to I'm bootstrapping it with my husband and my neighbor and there's, five, like, five yeah. people to now I have hundreds of, of people that I am the boss of. And yeah. I have to lead and I have to motivate and I yep. have to hold accountable. Uh, like, there's no school for that. Right. What can you talk a little bit about just just anything you have learned in that or your leadership style or like leadership lessons for motivating, organizing, yeah, holding a team accountable? Um, you know, I think it's really ensuring that you're setting a clear vision for everyone and um, not just like a vision for what the brand looks like and what we believe in, but like a vision for the goals we want to achieve and a roadmap for how we're going to get there. Um, like I've always looked at very specific KPIs of our performance that to me say like we're doing well or we need to improve on something. Um, and I've tried to keep that as consistent as I can and communicate that as frequently as I can to not just like our core team, but the broader organization. Um, and are those written down? Are they like, yeah, we actually, so now like I'm, we coming through the acquisition, I actually did it on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. um, now I do it on a monthly basis just to give us like a little bit more data. But um, that I think is really important. Like you are looking at the goal and then you're kind of marking as you go along and saying like, okay, we're maybe like going to accelerate past it or we're not quite there. What do we need to do and what do we need to adjust and optimize in the business? Um, I think beyond that, I think the biggest challenge in being an entrepreneur is honestly decision-making. And I think like as of late, and it's funny that even now in the position that we're in, I still feel this way, but like my mantra has almost been like control the controllables. There's always going to be a lot of things that you cannot control or influence, but you know, you need like, so put your energy into the things that you know that you can, that will make a difference. Um, so I feel, I find myself reminding our team of that almost on a daily basis of yeah. control the controllables. Cause if we're going to worry about this stuff that we can't control, it's going to waste our energy and time and yeah. we're going to miss what we could have done. Yeah. That's good. Control the controllables. I'm like thinking of situations mm -hmm. that I can apply that to. Um, that's really good. Uh, talk a little bit about just staying grounded and we, you know, we talked earlier about being a mom and being mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of balance there, but are, are there any things that you do like routines or habits or, mm. or rhythms or rhythms that help you show up your best at work and at home? Yeah, I think, um, I think like exposing myself to environments where I'm constantly learning, I think has been very inspiring and helpful to me. Um, whether that be like reading a book um, about a school of thought or taking a master class or listening to a podcast, um, you know, out of all of those things, like I collect little bits and pieces that then, you know, I'm thinking about how can I apply that to my business and what I'm doing and do those things better. 
Um, and h- how and when do you do that? So is that is that like scheduled or or like while you're doing laundry? Yeah, or <laughs> I mean my listening. days are not like very. Probably, <laughs> I probably need to work on this, but I, I don't have a really rigorous day and schedule. I'm not the type of person that's always like up at 6 a.m. eating oatmeal, going for a run, getting my kids yeah. ready. Like I kind of have to like give in to the chaos to make it all work and be mm-hmm. very flexible because I might be on the road one week for four days, home for one, like out of that day, I might take an hour to spend with my kids. You mm-hmm. know, it's... It's not like there's not a really clear schedule or like rigorous routine and all of that. So I think like wherever I can find time to do those things, I just find them so enriching for Mm -hmm. myself personally. And also I'm able to have a lot more perspective on what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So like. A lot of times now I find myself doing them on planes and I was going to ask like um, on planes, do you in transit, like to pick up carpool or Sometimes if I'm doing something during the day that just requires me to like think and be on my computer, I'll listen to something in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just wherever I can find time, but maybe it's a stage in life. You know, I hope one day I can get into more of like a structured routine. But, but you prioritize learning and discovery and whether it's a book, a podcast, yeah. or a masterclass. I do. I think it's just in my nature. So it's not, I don't, have to be so disciplined about it I just mm-hmm. like to do it and it's mm-hmm. almost like that's the thing for me that mm-hmm. I do you know it's one part of your outlet yeah exactly like some people it may be running five miles every day like for me if I can get something like that in I feel very fulfilled mm-hmm. so I love that cool that's a great that's a great answer um no, okay. I mean, well, and actually, I, we were, I'll say like gonna, that can look very different too. It doesn't always have to be business oriented. Like, it might be learning a new like physical skill. Like, um, are you learning a new physical skill right now? <laughs> well, I've been working like more on my horsemanship. So okay. I've actually been like going out, like actually like blocking off time to go out and ride and really work. Do you on have it. a horse? So I don't actually have a horse here in uh-huh. Fort Worth, but I've been riding at a stable and. Um, they kind of like help coach me through different things that I can work on. And I just, that's fun. It's fun. I like having that outlet where I'm always working on something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just challenges me to like put myself, you know, in a position where I'm not an expert at something. Yeah. That's cool. So, so you go I to a stable that. and you ride and you yeah. And now I like, you know, I find myself like trying to get out there more and more and more. Um, but it's hard, obviously, <laughs> with schedules. It sounds like that's kind of a theme is that you you like challenging yourself. Yeah. And <laughs> whether it's first grade. Yeah. <laughs> <the> <laughs> paper clips, you know, but figuring figuring things out, getting in there, um, discovering, being motivated, inspired, trying hard things, doing hard things. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Are there any, um, as someone that like reads Masterclass, but like, were there any any books or podcasts or things you read or heard that were like really instrumental? Uh, like this was In kind of a process. This was a game changer, and I I recommend this book to everybody. Yeah. Um, How brands grow was recommended to me like very early in my career, and who's that by? Um. Oh my gosh! Like, Great question. I can't remember. <laughs> How but brands I grow. should know because uh-huh. it actually sits on my desk every single day. Um. And I have gone back to that book 
so many times because I feel like the principles of it, you forget. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. actually is so simple and makes so much logical sense. Um, and so that is one that I think has been like a constant for me. But I've always, you know, I think there's been a number of different podcasts that I have fed you know, especially like the industry podcast for me, I've learned so much about the industry that I would have never known had I not really like exposed myself to that. Um, mm. And even like how I built this, I think listening to other entrepreneurs stories. I love how I built this. And see, yeah. I know it's like, it's like our road trip go to. We just Even listen. the ones that you're like, I don't know if I'm going to like this one. I always end up like getting to the end. I'm like, that was so good. Um, <laughs> but I just, I think listening to those stories and, finding like points that you can relate to Mm -hmm. I think like give me a sense of like comfort but also there's areas where like I've said like what could I've done better in this journey what can I do better moving forward Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's part of one of the reasons I did this yeah I love getting to hear people's yeah totally you get to like glean wisdom and it pumps you up normally well and I think like we live in this highlight real culture and there's so much, you know, I think if people, people might look at my journey and say like, it's been so easy, but mm-hmm. when you really like look at the sacrifices I've had to made, make, I mean, the fact that like, we didn't have a home for two years, like, mm-hmm. um, so much of our life was unsettled until more recently. Like, I don't know if people would be willing to make those same sacrifices mm-hmm. and that and stuff to that bet on themselves see. the way right. you did. Mm. Yeah. So I do think that's where these stories become really important. I think so too. And it's nice to hear the people, you know, the, um, just even on how I built this, I was, I always think when I'm listening, even though I know the brand, yeah. but sometimes I get so wrapped up in the initial phase of their story yes. that I'm like, they're not going to make it. <laughs> I know. And then by the, you know, 45 minutes and you're like, oh wait, they sold and they're crushing it and all the things. But Cause you really, you don't understand what people, the links that people go through and the yes. hardships they face to, to totally. make their business a success. And it kind of normalizes that in a way that like, nobody's going to have a perfect journey. There's going to be a lot of bumps in the road. There certainly has for us. Mm-hmm. Do you, ha- do y'all have like a mission statement or core values or anything that you say a lot? Are there any like either Lone River or Katie? Yeah. I mean, I can't even like take credit for coming up with this um, because it was another person. But touch the dirt, Mm -hmm. I think, is just something that when I heard it, it felt like that not only feels like the way we operate as a business, but how I approach life as an individual, Mm -hmm. Um, like just Mm -hmm. the spirit of rolling your sleeves up, getting your hands dirty, but also getting down into the details of things. And I hope that that's something as our business grows that we never, ever lose. Mm-hmm. And staying connected. Yeah. It's like the analogy of like staying grounded. Right. Touching, touching, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and part of it is like connecting with our distributors and our retailers. I mean, I think we have almost 50,000 stores that carry our product in the U.S. And so like when you think about all these people that touch the business and like just showing them the respect for what they do and being grateful that they mm-hmm. are supporting our business, mm-hmm. I think goes so far. Um, That's and, great. And I hope like we don't forget that, but I certainly am not going to be able to get out there to all 50,000. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. wild. Um, what advice would you give your younger self? Um, let's see. I think 
to maybe like make the bet on yourself. I it took me a long time to get the confidence to really like make that bet on myself to go for it. And I think that you know the business might have been in a different place had I um had I been willing to do it earlier. Mm. So That's good. Um but I mean it's hard to say like you know when you're young there's just so many you know factors at play and mm-hmm. um okay final big question that i have to be like do you have any before i no some of the ones i was going to ask you um, so that's great what what does like legacy mean for you like what do you want to be remembered for yeah um i think just approaching our business in a very different way in a way that is kind of built on like that old school pioneering mentality of, you know, I'm going to shake someone's hand and look them in the eye. That Mm. means something to me. Um, And I think in this world and in a lot of businesses that maybe have been built just as quickly as ours, there isn't that kind of importance put on the relationships that it takes to build it. Um, Mm. So I do think that's really at the core of who we are Mm -hmm. is that community, but it's like, community to me is not just our consumers it's our distributors it's our retailers it's our teams it's any person that's believed in us from day one like mm-hmm. i consider them part of this bigger family yeah that's good i love but that it's, that's the, and it's the small town currency too yeah and so just carrying that as you continue to grow and scale but letting that be kind of the legacy i love that yeah uh okay a couple quick questions if you don't order a ranch water, yeah. what's your other go what's your other go-to drink when you're like, I'm tired of ranch water, that's all I do? And- yeah. Um, I I love the I guess you could say like agave kind of desert spirit family. Mm-hmm. Um, like I love Sotol <gasps> and loves- Mezcal. And I actually just like them neat. I think like the complexity of those spirits is very interesting and earthy yeah just neat i think like a mezcal with a orange slice and like some salt not like a shot but just Mm -hmm. a sip yeah like that was one of the first things (laughs) after having like a lone river ranch water that i drank after having our baby Uh i don't know why it just like sounded good to me i love it Um, are y'all gonna do like a mezcal profile maybe we actually had a formula that was um it was smoked uh-huh. and it was like a mesquite smoked flavor, but we couldn't really nail it. I think that that could be in our future. You never mm. know. Yeah. Uh, favorite restaurant in Fort Worth, favorite place to go have a meal. Um, gosh, I, I guess I would say, um, I love Paloma Suerte. Mm-hmm. I just like, I could eat anything on that menu. Um, I also just went to Katarina, so it's kind of hard. I feel like I'm Katarina's a little bit. Is so good. We <laughs> were there. So good. We were there over the weekend. Yeah, Sunday. Sunday. Oh, nice. We were yeah. there Saturday. Um, I mean, the experience is just so unique. And putting so, your phone up. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. Actually, like at first, I was kind of nervous, but it was really cool. Mm-hmm. So Paloma Suerte. Is is your go to though? Like yeah, that's, yeah. That's like the, if I had to choose one place, it's a little to go shout to out to Tim Love. <laughs> I know. I do. I like love anything that he brings to the table. Um, 
So if you're if you're making a ranch water, if, yeah. if you if you don't have the option to to buy the can, yes. uh, what are you a Topo Chico? Are you uh what's your what's your go to? Any sparkling water. I'm not really specific about that. I think where I'm really specific is I think nowadays people make a ranch water almost like it's a margarita. They put so much lime juice in it. Mm. And to mm. me it's meant to be really simple and really refreshing. And the marker of that is like a squeeze of lime. Okay. I think the so more you just do a squeeze. I just do a squeeze. Like yeah. I, I would do like a squeeze of a half of lime sometimes, mm-hmm. but the more you like put lime juice in it, I just think it's taking it to like a margarita space. Mm-hmm. Like a ranch water is meant to be really refreshing, really simple. So you can't really overdo it with anything. Yeah. yeah. So the lime ratio is where you're going to differentiate. You're yeah. Like, this is a true ranch water. Yes. For Katie. <laughs> well, and so. Our like canned ranch waters, I also like have a couple of things that I do differently. So I love like putting hot sauce in the rim. Um, oh, I just love to that. like spice it up a little bit. Wait, what do you mean? Like in So I just like put like a little bit of Cholula in uh-huh. the top of it, crack okay. it open. And it's just like a little bit of an extra kick. Interesting. Um so yeah, stuff like that, I'll kind of like dress up my can depending mm. on what I'm feeling. That's fun. So well, cool. Well, thanks for sharing your story. Yeah, thank you, guys. This, it's fascinating, inspiring, uh, and I'm very glad you're in Fort Worth. I mean, you guys have done such an incredible job. And also, I think, like, looking at you and how much you've, like, evolved your career, and clearly you've had a lot of success in a lot of different areas, but um, I think that's the marker of a true entrepreneur is being able to do it again and again. <laughs> so, reinvent yourself. <laughs> yeah, reinvent Well, I was going to say, Or maybe ADD. Yeah, <laughs> that we, I mean, I feel like we feel so honored that you did make Fort Worth your home. Mm-hmm. Thank and you. And I feel yeah. like it's such a neat kind of time in Fort Worth that everything's so vibrant and exciting. Yes. And, and it's attracting people like you and your husband and and not only that it's we're not fully evolved yet we you know we haven't become like Nashville or you you know we're not there and so it's neat because I feel like there's always a seat at the table in Fort Worth everyone's invited to come to bring their best ideas to bring their business yep and then I feel like there's this neat group of people who are getting to help shape the future and the culture of Fort Worth and so I speak on behalf of all of Cowtown <laughs> when you say it's so exciting that you're here and that even just hearing that you want to make Lone River kind of have its home here. Yeah. I think that's just really, really neat and only neat and amazing things are going to come from that for sure. Well, I love what you guys are doing too. And I think I've actually been really surprised by like how much of a community of entrepreneurs there are in Fort Worth because it is in a way like a very traditional place. Um, mm. But there is, there's a lot of people that have done a lot of very like pioneering groundbreaking things here. Um, so it's amazing to just be in that company as well. Well, this was fun. Yes. Loved it. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Congratulations. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of stories with soul. If you enjoyed the interview and like what you heard, please help us out and share, subscribe and like anywhere you listen to podcasts. When you share and subscribe, it is insanely helpful and allows us to keep producing new episodes. You can always join us directly in the studio by watching the video version on our website, sixthavstorytelling.com. Stories with Soul is brought to you by Sixth Ave Storytelling, an organic marketing company 
building standout brands on the foundation of story. You're obsessed with your business and we want to make the world obsessed with it too. Thanks for listening.